0: and welcome to you. This is Rev. Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. And I'm coming on today um, as an additional, this is unscripted, uh, unplanned necessarily, but uh, at least not by me, but maybe by the Lord. But in my reading for today, my normal daily reading, um, and from that I I try to uh, present to you Bible Bites each day, some Thoughts and commentary on the reading of the scripture that I'm doing each day. And there was a passage, there was one particular chapter in the Psalms today that caught my attention and the Lord really uh, prompted me with several things from this Psalm to share and it was more than what I felt like I needed to share in the Bible Bites program. So I wanted to come back on and just share these with you, uh, some insights because I don't know about you, but I do believe that in the days that we are living in and in the time that we are living, there is an urgency and God is on the move and he's trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's trying to draw people to himself. And so I wanna deliver this to you and I hope it will be received in the spirit in which it's meant. God is after sinners today. He is after those who need to be saved. And he wants you to call upon him if that is you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you have strayed away, if you have forsaken him in some way, if you have gone your own way and and you're trying to find your way back or you need to come back, God is calling out to you today. And so what I I would like to do is just go through Psalm 51 and just share with you a message on repentance. And I want to talk about several key elements that I felt the Lord showed me this morning as I was reading through this. And I jotted these down. And like I said, this is unscripted, but I want to share from my heart what I believe is a fresh word from the Lord. And I pray that this can be received as a call out to anyone who needs to know Jesus as your Savior or who has strayed and needs to come home. If you feel like that prodigal child that's spoken of in the Gospels or if you know that you, you knew the Lord at some point before but you've turned your back on Him or you've gone your own way or you've pursued other things and you know that you need to come back to Him, this is for you also. And so I want to share with you some understanding about, um, you know, about a sinner's prayer, about what we dub to be maybe a sinner's prayer. And there are lots of examples of that out on the internet and through other ministries, and I'm not discounting any of those. But I'd just like to look at one prayer from the Bible that I believe gives us a lot of good elements in regard to the kind of prayer that, that is real repentance and that will be one that God will hear and understand. Now, first of all, in saying that, you don't have to pray as as big of a prayer as David prayed here in Psalm 51. You don't have to say a bunch of certain words, and it's not about a formula. But I would like to talk about some elements that should be in your prayer when you pray for repentance, whether whether it's a long prayer or a short prayer these elements in your heart and in your mind and in your intent should be there for it to be a sincere prayer of repentance so i'd like to start out and just read through this this scripture and jot and point out to you and kind of jot out jot down to you these things that the lord kind of showed me as i was reading through first of all psalm 51 is a prayer that was prayed after david who did know the lord who had served the Lord for many years, who had written many psalms even prior to this point. He had killed Goliath. He had uh, shepherded uh, sheep for many years. And and he was um, now you know, appointed to be king. He had been anointed. And so we see him in a situation where his heart turned away from the Lord. He left God and he committed a grievous sin. And that sin was when he... Uh, had adultery. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. She ended up getting pregnant. And so then he sets out on a course to try to hide his sin. And in doing that, he ends up and he has Uriah, her husband, murdered. And then he takes her and he's still hoping he can hide his sin. But beloved, I want to tell you right now, you can't ever hide sin from God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out it will be known and if it's not known publicly it will be known in your own heart and it will be known to god and you know it's there and he knows it's there so that the the way to handle that is to go ahead and confess that and make it right with god which is exactly what we're going to see here but david didn't do that right away on his own he still kept trying to hide it and it was months later as a matter of fact the child Um, was born or was just about to be born. It it had been months before David pins this psalm from the depths of his heart after God sends Nathan the prophet. Now, why did God wait months to send Nathan? I believe it was that God was trying to woo David to repent on his own. I believe he was um, working on David's heart and his conscience to cause him to call upon the name of the Lord and to be forgiven of his sin and to cry out to God for repentance. But David kept trying to hide it and trying to hide it. And in God's love and in his faithfulness, he would not let David alone because he loved him too much. And he was too faithful of a father to let it just go. So God finally sends Nathan the prophet. And Nathan tells him a story about a man who has one lamb, And another man who has lots and lots of lambs, and he's very rich, and and he's got a, a, a slew of them. And instead of going to his own flock, instead of going to and being content with what he had, he took the one lamb from the other man. And in that, Nathan was pointing out what David had done in the sense of Uriah and Uriah's wife Bathsheba and so david had to suffer consequences for that but this is this the prayer of repentance that david cried out to god from a sincere repentant heart and god did forgive his sin god will always when you cry out from a repentant heart god will forgive sin that does not mean he will erase its consequences sometimes we still must suffer through the consequences of our bad choices, he may, he may lighten them, he may, um, you know, let us uh, experience the the escape from some of those. But many times, and most times, he doesn't always wipe out consequences. Many times there are still consequences that we must face, and David had to do that. But when David was presented with the absolute undeniable understanding of what he had done, he received that conviction from the Lord, and this is the result of it. So now that we understand how this psalm came to be written, let's read it and let's hear David's heart of repentance. And beloved, this can be you as well. And if you will be this person, God will receive you and God will forgive you if it's sincere, just like with David. And he will restore you. So let's talk about it. David writes this Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. First of all, we must realize that when we have sinned, this cry, was a cry for God's mercy. He was crying out for God to have mercy upon him. It is the mercy of God that saves us from our sin, that forgives us of our sins. It is his mercy, because mercy can be understood to be not getting what we deserve. Grace can be understood to be getting what we don't deserve, something far better than we deserve. Mercy can be understood to be not getting what we truly deserve. And so David is crying out and he says, God, according to your mercies, the multitude of your mercies, forgive my sin, forgive my sin, wash me thoroughly from my sin and cleanse me from my sin. So it's a cry for mercy, first of all, is what we see, based on God's nature and his very name. Because he is abundant in mercy and grace, the God who forgives. And we see that when we when he um, proclaimed his name to Moses. Remember when Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock, the glory passed by, and God proclaimed his name. And one of the things in his name was that he is abundant in grace and mercy. And so David knows that. Let's see, he also gives up forth a request for true cleansing from his sin. Then in verse 3, he says this, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. That's another element. There must be acknowledgement of sin. Admit it. Admit it. God already knows it, and you know it, and I know it. We just need to admit our sin to God. That's called confession or confessing our sin to the Lord, not trying to hide it. There is no forgiveness for those who try to hide it. But if you confess your sin, he will forgive you when you are sincere in confessing it and asking for his forgiveness. Number four, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. We must understand and recognize that sin is against God, even if it also wrongs other people. It's ultimately against God. And he says this, the rest of verse 4, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. In other words, it's right for you to, to, for you to draw me to a place of repentance. It's right for you to convict me. You are correct. You are right. I have done wrong. Then he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. All he's saying there is that I'm a sinful man. I know that every person born since Adam and Eve, every since the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, sinful we have a sinful nature inside of us and that's just a recognition of that then he recognizes the importance of true character and the need for integrity and transformation from within that's what he's talking about here when he says that God desires truth in the inward parts And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. In in other words, he's talking about down deep inside. He wants, God wants us to be sincere, real, and genuine. It has to be authentic. It has to be from deep down inside of us. And then he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now he's requesting real cleansing from that sin. He's asking God to purge it away. He's asking God to wash his sin away. Wash it away and clean him from it and let there be no more stain from it in him any longer. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. He's just talking about the conviction there of the Spirit of God that that rests heavy upon him. And he says to make me hear joy and gladness. In other words, Restore me, O God, in your mercy, restore me to a place of joy and peace with you where I can rejoice again, where this guilt and shame is gone. He goes on and he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Again, erase these, wash them clean, wash them clean, remove them, forget them and erase my sins, O God. Throw them into the sea of forgetfulness as if they never happened. He says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is a plea for God to go deep down inside of him and to cleanse his very heart, the seat of his affections, his desires, his speech, his will, his intents of his heart, every part of it. He wants God to thoroughly clean him, to thoroughly even change him from within and to renew a right spirit or a steadfast spirit within him, to set him upright and make him established and firm, stable in his spirit so that he will stand strong and stay on the right path. And on the right way, and not wander again into sin. He says, Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's asking God to keep him near him. Do you know the Bible talks about the Lord being our shepherd? And the safest place for sheep is near the shepherd. When we get away from the shepherd, That's when we get, we put ourselves into danger because the devil is looking and lurking for those who are on the fringes, for those who are not near the shepherd. David is crying out here and he says, don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Keep me close to you. Keep me close to you, Lord. That's what he's pleading for. He's pleading for and he's asking God to keep him near him he's pleading for a restoration of the working of the holy spirit inside of him don't take your holy spirit even when it has to convict me even when it has to challenge me even when it has to cut to my heart don't take your holy spirit away from me god i want the working of the holy spirit inside of me don't take it away from me that's what he's asking then he says restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. In other words, he's praying for the restoration of joy of his salvation, once he's cleansed and free and restored. He's asking God's Holy Spirit to support him, to prop him up and to sustain him in the way that he should go. And notice just a few more verses. Then he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. I believe what he's saying here is once I'm restored, once I'm forgiven of my sins, once my iniquities are cleansed away, washed away into the sea of forgetfulness, once I have been restored in favor and in peace with God, and I now can stand upright before him in right standing with him, then I've got a testimony. I've got something I can teach other people. John picked up on this concept and talked about it in his epistle in 1 John. In the first chapter, and I believe in the second chapter as well, he talks about how the things that we have heard, the things that we have seen, the things that we know to be true, that's what we share with you. That's what the early church did. They went out and they gave their testimonies. They talked about who Jesus was to them, what he had done for them, personally. And so David is saying, I'm going to have something to teach people with because I can tell them, hey, I don't know how to answer all your theological questions, but I know what God did for me. I know what he did for me. I know that he took me and he washed me clean of my sins. He has forgiven me for that awful sin and it is gone and he's restored me. That's what he's saying here. He's saying it's at that point when God has restored us and washed us away that we then have a testimony to share with others and it can be effective and authentic to them and they will be converted as well. So we just testify of what God has done for us. And then lastly, as I begin to draw us down to a close here, I just want to point out this as well. In verse 14, He asks this, he says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Here David is asking for God to remove not just the sin, not just wash the sin away, but to also remove the guilt of it. Beloved friend, God wants to remove the shame and the guilt of your past. I would encourage you to read in Romans chapter 8, after one person, after a person has been justified by faith alone, which Paul talks about in Romans chapters 1 through 5. He talks about how that is done. In chapter 6, he deals with our struggle for sin, but the fact that we must recognize we are now dead to sin, and alive to God, and reckon ourselves thus. In chapter 7, he talks about still in the practicality of walking things out, that still uh, presents a challenge for us in our day-to-day life. But then in chapter 8, he goes on and he talks about the victory available to us in Christ through the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that overcomes the law of sin and death in our bodies as we submit to it. And in that chapter, he talks about how there's now no condemnation. Not only does God want us forgiven, free, and restored, but he also wants us free of any guilt and shame and condemnation from our past. And beloved, when we are sincerely repentant before him in our sins or about our sins and asking him, maybe using these elements, in a sincere prayer of repentance to him, calling out to him for forgiveness from our sin and erasing our guilt and shame away. He will do that. He will do that. And then David goes on in the next few verses and he talks about, he says, my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And then verse 15, oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. That's the result. And that's the end that we should be doing after God has delivered us and God has forgiven us of our sins. Then we give him praise. Partly we do that by sharing our testimony, teaching others, showing them the way, and bringing them to Jesus. But also we need to do it just in in our own sweet fellowship with the Lord to remember and thank him for his great mercy. And thank him for his great praise and sing his glory. Thank him for his great grace and sing praise to him for his goodness to us. And then he talks in verse 16 and 17. For you do not, do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. What he's saying there is that these things are religious and yes, they were part of the worship of God. But when they're given out of just a meaningless duty, that's not what God wants. He doesn't want us going through the motions. He doesn't want us to be in some religious place. He wants us to be in a real relationship with him. That's what he's getting to. And then in verse 17, when you have authentic repentance, usually there's going to be sincere weeping sincere brokenness and i want you to understand that if you're at that place or when you come to that place that's precious to god the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart these oh god you will not despise god is right there in your brokenness And when you call out to him and you are truly broken because what you know you've done in sin, what I know that I've done, when I break in real repentance, that's a precious thing to God. It's not something he belittles. It's not something he mocks at. As a matter of fact, it draws him to that person. When you become broken before God, it draws him to you. That's where he will come to. And he will hear your prayer. He will hear a sincere prayer of repentance just like this, using these types of elements, I call them. Not as some formula, but something that's coming real from within, a broken, contrite, and repentant heart. And when you do that, God will forgive you, wash your sin away, restore you, set you free, and remove guilt and shame from you. And you will start or you will be restored to the start of a brand new life and a brand new journey with him. Because salvation is all about a relationship with Jesus. I hope that this has been a blessing to you, that God will use it and God will draw you or others that you know or love to himself into a real thriving and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ where you have peace, restoration, forgiveness of your sins, and freedom in Christ. May that be so in your life, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.